are empowered by lay-driven leadership, connecting lay ministries and business people to share Christ in the marketplace in support of the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm Steve Dickman, president for Adventist Layman Services and Industries, better known as ASI. Welcome to our virtual spring conference for 2020. We're so happy you're watching tonight. You're viewing us on Facebook Live, on wherever it may be from 3ABN. We are very happy that you are here with us and that uh, you can be a part of the program tonight. We have some exciting things planned. A lot of people ask the question, what is ASI anyway? Well, let me say, ASI was started as a result of some of the work done at Madison College. Madison College was kind of mothered by Ellen White. She knew that we needed a school to train young people to be spreading the gospel to the entire world. As a result of that, uh, ASI was born in 1947, is a department of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists, and we strive to engage lay business people, lay ministries, and lay professionals in spreading the gospel to the world. So thank you for coming to join us tonight. It's our virtual spring conference, and we're here together. Um, Lindy, would you pray for us tonight as we begin our program? I'd be happy to, Steve. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for this opportunity. Even though it's virtual, we know that your Holy Spirit is going to bless abundantly each speaker, each member in action, each testimony. I pray, Lord, in this special time of anxiety and worry and fear that the answers provided in your word by the speakers will touch hearts all over this world, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you, Lindy. Uh, we have a, a schedule for this weekend, Joy. Joy is, uh, by the way, Joy is our, one of our uh, presidents for one of our chapters. Which chapter are you president for? I'm president of the Lake Union chapter, and I'm thrilled to be here representing six of our chapters. You can see in the scene behind us, we have six chapters all representing and coming together. Uh, so, Joy, share with us a little bit about the schedule for this weekend. What are we looking at? So the schedule is going to be packed with speakers that will inspire and challenge you as listeners. So we'll be here for two hours this evening. Hope you can stay the whole time. Then tomorrow morning, we will start with three action-packed two-hour sessions beginning at 8 a.m., 1 p.m., and 7 p.m., Tomorrow, we'll start the Sabbath with Pastor Mark Finley. Then on Sabbath morning, we will be led in worship by Elder Ted Wilson at 9 a.m. to 12.30, and then close out the Sabbath with Pastor John Bradshaw, 4 to 6 p.m. Central Times. We invite you to look at the schedule on asiministries.org and also to share, like, and subscribe so others can join us for this exciting weekend. Thank you, Joy. Now, um, we're here together. Lindy, um, I mean, Andy, I mean, Lindy. <laughs> Andy, I mean, Lindy, you have a twin sister. Steve, I have a twin sister. And what is her name? And her name is Andy. But you're not Andy. I'm not Andy. I'm Lindy. Lindy but I'm now. very close to Andy. <laughs> okay. Now, Andy is our vice president, general vice president for ASI. Yes. And uh, you've been associated with ASI yes. for a while. Yes. So we praise God for that. But tell us tonight, we've got a theme for this weekend. We've got a focus for this weekend. What are we talking about? 
So this weekend, we are talking about the three angels' messages in times like these. There are two parts, as you notice, to this. One of them is in times like these. These are strange times. They're unprecedented. And um, there's social distancing. Who would have thought that we would experience something like that? There's a times of fear. There are times of anxiety, uh, times of questions. And uh, we want answers. We are very grateful that the Word of God has provided us with a message just for this time, the three angels' messages, the gospel presented in a time of the end. And we have wonderful speakers this weekend. And tonight, we have Pastor Doug Batchelor, as well as Dr. Neil Nedley, who will begin bringing to us the truth and encouragement of the three angels' messages. Thank you. I appreciate that uh, you're sharing with us there about the theme. We, uh, we're going to invite you, our listening family, to reach out to others who may need to watch this program. Give them a call, let them know you're watching, and invite them to join us. Joy, we've got some special music. Yes, we'll be opening this evening with a song by Margie Salcedo Rice, and the song is perfectly focused. It is, I have fixed my mind, and it's going to help challenge us to be not crisis-centered, but Christ-centered. I invite you to listen. Trumpet sound, it's black. 
One of the favorite parts of ASI for many people is the section we call Members in Action. Tonight we will feature four different ministries and find out what's happening in the field with members, ASI members in action, sharing Jesus, sharing Christ in their marketplace. Joy, you've attended ASI for a number of years. How, has the member, how have those Member in Action stories impacted your personal life? Well, they are fantastic because when you go to ASI, it's like an army of engaged people that are all being called by God and challenged in their marketplace, whether it's a ministry or a business. And when you hear those stories, it just, it's exciting. You feel like you're part of something bigger than you and you know the Holy Spirit is at work. Our first member in action story tonight comes to us from the country of Canada, Curtis Letniak operates a company there called Spider Controls. This member in action section today focuses on Curtis Letniak and the Spider Control Company uh, out of Canada. Curtis, thank you for joining us today. And uh, I have just a question for you this afternoon, Curtis. Um, first of all, what is Spider Controls? What do you do and how are you involved in Spider Controls? Well, Steve, we uh, design and manufacture electronic control products for a number of different industries like uh, marine uh, applications, RV, specialty vehicle, and heavy equipment. And uh, the electronic controls that we manufacture um, are installed in a number of different uh, factory assembly lines. And that's a product that we design and manufacture here in North America and distribute uh, throughout North America and around the world. 
Now, Curtis, this sounds like a really high-tech company and lots of high-tech employees there. And I noticed you have one of your employees there with you today. Uh, Amber, uh, just uh, share with us, what is your job there at the plant? What do you do? Uh, so I am an assembly technician. I've been here for three and a half years now. Well, Amber, so you're working with spider controls and assembly technician, but what is your journey in this thing? Because you've not, uh, you've kind of come to this point through an interesting journey, and that's the story we're kind of sharing today. Uh, where were you, you know, four years ago? What was your life like? So four years ago, I was um, living on the streets. Uh, it was uh, um, just about Mother's Day. I wanted to get clean for Mother's Day. We had a dinner planned, and so I did. I got... Uh, clean for Mother's Day and we went out for dinner and uh, God intervened in my life and took me down a very different path. Praise the Lord for that. Now, so you're living on the street, you're abusing drugs, you get clean for Mother's Day, you go out to lunch with your mother. And uh, how does this relate to spider controls? Curtis, tell us, what, what, how did you get involved in this story? So Amber came to uh, visit our, our church um, in Pinoca. And so we had gotten to know that Amber maybe had a few needs um, just getting ready for winter. And so our church family had had the opportunity to come to her house and help her get, get the house ready for winter. And um, in just spending time um, there the day that we were helping at Amber's house, we could see that um, there was maybe a real desire that Amber had to, to make a change in her life, not only to come to know the Lord, but also to, to just make a clean break in her life in terms of her career and what she was doing. And so um, we offered Amber a job here just to try um, out um, seeing how, how some of the assembly work that we had would, would work for her. And uh, four years later, she's here as one of our top assembly technicians. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, I'm just wondering today, Curtis, how does a company get a culture like that? And what is the culture of your company that leads you to do things like that? So, Steve, our, our model here, we do design and build electronics, but we believe that we're here to do much more than that. And uh, really, God has designed each one of us to be serving and giving, and that's when we'll be happiest. And we've experienced that in our own family, in serving through uh, involvement with ASI and a number of other opportunities here in our local church and so on. But it's, it's, it's something that we want each of our employees to have that opportunity to experience that joy as well in, in giving. And so this has really become part of our culture here at Spider Controls, and Amber has been a big part of, of growing that culture here in our uh, outreach program that she's a big part of. So Amber, you're not just a assembly technician, you're also the coordinator for the outreach program there at Spider Controls. This is amazing. Uh, four years ago, who would have thought? But just share with us, what are kinds of projects you're involved in? What is Spider Controls doing in the local community uh, to really reach out to the local community? Well, I can show you what we're working on this month. Uh, we have a COVID care pack. Oh. And so what it is, is a couple pairs of gloves. We got a mask in there and we got some hand sanitizer. So we're gonna make about a hundred of these and we're gonna send them to the local food bank and they're gonna put them in their hampers. So you're involved in um, COVID response uh, from spider controls. You're the outreach coordinator. Give me another example. I mean, we've got a bunch of projects. You're doing one every month or how does that work? We do, yeah. We have a potluck and Curtis uh, asks us to think of any ways we can help the community. So I usually have a new idea lined up for the group. Um, so one of the ones we did was uh, we 
as soon as we heard about COVID and the problems, we started gathering money uh, for our local food bank. Uh, so we did a food drive. Um, Dress for Success is a company in Red Deer for women who are looking for work. And uh, we bought them a new printer and some ink, and we gathered a bunch of clothing for the ladies go to interviews. Um, we have also done uh, meals at the Ronald McDonald House and help uh, gather supplies for them. And then there's uh, many mission trips that we've been a part of, and uh, Curtis has helped us along with that. So we've done the Philippines and Cambodia and the Dominican. I'm just really impressed by all the things that you are doing, Amber, as well as what Spider Controls is doing. Curtis, let me bring this question back to you as we uh, get wind this down this afternoon. How has this impacted your family? I know you've been involved in ASI for a number of years, uh, and you are our vice president for membership, actually, for ASI National. But how has this idea of using your business as a platform for ministry changed the life and impacted your family? So through ASI, um, about seven or eight years ago, uh, we attended our first ASI, and it's where we gained a lot of, of um, connections and opportunities to, to just understand how a business can make a difference in the marketplace and in the world. And so really it's shaped the way that our business functions and serves in terms of why we exist and what, what motivates us to continue um, being in business and uh, not just being in business to be growing and profitable, but also to be using those as opportunities to serve, whether it's in our local community, involving our staff in that and in really looking at different mission opportunities around the world. And uh, it's been just a joy, not only for our family, but as a, as a staff and, and team here at Spider Controls. Thank you, Curtis. What a blessing. This members in action, no one can say anything but praise the Lord. And it, uh, what Curtis has done is a biblical principle, and it reminds me of a text in Romans 4, verse 17. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Amen. Exactly what happened to Amber is what the faith of Jesus is, what Curtis, that faith he put in her that was inspired in him by the Lord and by the Word. Praise the Lord. Our next Members in Action story tonight comes to us from the state of Kentucky. I'm Andrew Schmidt, and I'm from Lexington, Kentucky. We uh, have a small business that we make machines for the textile industry. We make machines that put on buttons and snaps onto garments, pants, tarps. My father actually started in New York City with his father and mother, and they didn't have hardly anything, but they worked really hard, saved, and started a little uh, machine shop in their basement and my grandfather was very sharp, mechanical, um, and he and my father um, was able to design small machines and get some business that grew into larger um, accounts and business and eventually moved to Lexington. I think my parents placed a desire in our hearts, my brother and I. We saw growing up dad's passion for sharing Christ. Dad took us when we were younger out um, sharing literature. And we would go door to door and actually knock on the door. And someone would come to the door and he would offer a book and offer for Bible studies. And there were times that they took him up on that offer and we would go back every week. 
obviously as I grew older I realized as well that in the business they always took advantage of being able to talk to people or share a little book here or there. When uh, my father, when we started sending equipment out, he set a lot of it up. And so as he was in the factory, he would uh, you know, have opportunities to share books with the mechanics or with the owner. So he's always seen that as just a way to pay it forward for God. I mean, God has basically, in essence, gave him or them the business, the brains and everything. I think uh, through his example, he showed us that uh, whenever you can, you want to give back to God. You know, we have on our music that's put on hold, we have Amazing Grace and Christian music that's usually playing. And I've picked up the phone before, and the lady on the other end said, you know what, that was Amazing Grace. I haven't heard that since I was a little girl. My grandma used to take me to church, and I haven't been to church since I was little. And it made me realize I need to get back to church. So just, you know, those are simple, simple things you can do, but they make an impact. And with God's blessing, they reach the right people. We have placed this business into God's hands, and He brings people. And I feel like we have the opportunity and also the responsibility to let them know who Jesus is and what He has done for them. In other words, it's not so much important what I say, but what they see in me, that's important. God has brought us where we are, okay? He has helped us, he has given us the business and the opportunities. And so wherever we, uh, we have that business, we share what God has given us. The way we look at our business is we realize that God is blessed whether it was through my grandfather and father and, and the ideas and the engineering um, and the uh, marketing and getting customers, all that is not because we're so smart, um, but it's God's blessing. And so whether you have a, you're a doctor or own a car manufacturer or whatever you do, um, I would say, you know, God gave you that. God blessed you with that. And the least you can do is give back we have a sphere of influence that other people don't have. We have relationships with our customers, with our vendors, that our pastor doesn't have and the evangelist does not have. And God asks us to take the tools right where we are, not lay them down and go to church and work for Him, but right where we are to pick up our whatever we have in our hand and be able to use that to share for Him. What a powerful testimony. You know, the Schmidt family invites us to ask the question of ourselves, what do we have in our hands that we can use for the Lord? Can we give our business, our ministry, our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ like they have shown? And I promise you, God will bless. It's my privilege tonight to introduce Dr. Neil Nedley, our next speaker. Dr. Nedley, is the president of Weimar Institute. He's a speaker, an author, a father, and a lay evangelist. You will be impressed. I invite you to listen well. I know many people are struggling. Dr. Nedley has helped 
thousands out of depression and anxiety. And I know he has been given a word from the Lord that will speak to your heart this evening. Thanks for inviting me to speak on medical missionary work in the end time. This is a uh, crucial uh, topic, and it really gets to the core of why Christ has not come yet. It's not because he's waiting for the next pandemic. It's not because he's waiting for the next economic collapse. There are reasons that have to do with God's people ourself regarding why he has not come yet. And I would like to um, propose that it's because his people, including myself, have not been following the model of what Christ did on this earth. There are three things, three main areas of what Christ did when he was here. And Matthew 9.35 tells us Jesus went about all the cities and even the smaller places, the villages. He taught, so education was part of it. He preached. The gospel of the kingdom was a major part of it. And he healed. This is the third element. Much of Christianity has gotten the education part down, They've gotten the gospel part down. But the healing part is something that we have viewed as maybe optional and should be put in a corner somewhere. But we need to realize that Christ actually spent more time doing healing than he did preaching. He was healing every weakness, the Bible says, every infirmity. And then he told his apostles first the 12, and then later the 70, to go and preach as they went around the towns and villages. And the first thing he told them to do was to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. And then he said, freely ye have received, freely give. He didn't say those to the left of Peter and John are going to be involved in preaching and those to the right of Peter and John are going to be involved in healing. He wanted all of his followers to be involved in both aspects. After 1863, when the health message was given to the inspired prophet, uh, the only pioneer that was a prophet, she was actually shown in vision that Christ did not wish the medical missionary work to be separated from the gospel work or the gospel work separated from the medical missionary work. These are to blend together. The medical missionary work is actually regarded as the pioneer work. If you want to be a pioneer for the Lord, embrace medical missionary work. Learn more about it. Learn how to incorporate it more because this is the means of breaking down prejudice. And as the right arm, that's the strong arm, it is to open doors for the gospel message. In our churches today, I'm not sure we're quite ready to advance 
in exponentially taking our soul-saving message to the entire world by missing this element. Much of our churches, if they are doing healing, it's not connected at all with the gospel, or they're doing gospel work and not healing work. And so in many ways, the right arm is withered, and Christ is waiting for that to change. The number one problem in all of the world is actually not COVID. The number one problem in all of the world is actually not problems with immigration or even climate change. If you um, just watch the news, you'll miss what the number one problem is. The number one problem isn't even this battle between um, you know, socialism and capitalism uh, and, you know, all of these things, not that they're not important, all of these things are important, and there are truths that are critically important for us to understand in all of those areas, but all of those areas sink into insignificance to what the most quoted researcher in all the world states is the number one problem, and that is lack of self-control. Dr. Baumeister makes an eloquent case that this is by far the number one problem in all of the world. And it does impact these other areas. If we don't have self-control in our life, we're more likely to get COVID and we're more likely to succumb to COVID with severe permanent damage or even death if we're not on a proper new start program, which can of course help us greatly in avoiding it as well as helping our immune system. And when we take a look at heart disease, the number one cause of death, we know how to prevent this disease. We know how to even eliminate it through diet and lifestyle. Why is it still number one? Lack of self-control. 80% of cancers, Harvard tells us, are due to not putting into practice in our life the things that would be healthiest for us. And then we have addictions at an all-time high. Alcoholism going up. Sexual addictions, technology addictions, our young people over 80% actually fit the definition of addiction to technology. They go on to technology to do something useful, but they can't stop themselves from doing something that's not useful. This is a problem, and it does adversely affect their performance, their social life, their mental health, and we could go into so many other issues from rape to murder uh, to all of the problems not all of the problems, but most of the problems in the underlying world are due to lack of self-control. And this is why we really need both the health message, both medical missionary work, and the gospel. Now, I'd like to tell you a couple of stories. Uh, and these are just recent stories that happened at Weimar Institute we held a depression and anxiety recovery program uh, during COVID. And that's an essential service. Mental health issues are actually exploding, getting worse under COVID. And uh, one of the participants that came was an atheist. She could not overcome alcoholism on her own. And she had tried programs. She had tried AA. In fact, three years earlier, she had been to AA, and she walked out saying, this is not working, and if you would leave God and the higher power out, 
you'd be able to help a lot more people. She was an atheist and did not like that aspect of things. So how did she end up at Weimar? Well, she is a very successful businesswoman and had some clients, very sharp uh, lady and very um, attractive. Uh, and one of her clients told her if she really wanted success in this area, she needed to go to Weimar. This client actually made the first call to the Nedley Health Solutions screener uh, that does uh, the screening for depression and anxiety, um, Sarah. And so uh, while she was with this lady, uh, the phone was then handed over um, to our, our recent participant, and she went through the interview. And of course, during the interview, she is told about the fact that this is a Christian-based program. She said at that point, she was frustrated with her years of problem drinking, that she thought, if it requires Christian principles, and maybe there is something to this, then I'm willing to do it. But she looked at the statistics, she looked at all the other programs that could be available for alcoholism, and realizing that this would actually get behind the issues of alcoholism as well, and why she was driving that way, and mental health issues, she decided to do it, and also said it was by far the cheapest program. As you know, hard to deal with alcoholism. It requires three to six months in a treatment center, often $45,000. Uh, and even then, it's not over a 50% chance of long-term success. And so she came here, and we, of course, did the medical evaluation, the mental health evaluation. We actually found some things brain chemistry-wise um, that were insightful for her to uh, understand. And then also the way uh, we're thinking, we teach them the 10 different ways of distorted thinking. And towards the end of the program, we teach them how the principles behind the Ten Commandments solve the ten different ways of distorted thinking. One of the ways of distorted thinking is called, called disqualifying the positive, and it's something that even most Christians do. And so I actually go through this section because I'm showing how science has shown us that the principles behind the Ten Commandments, if we keep them, are going to help us become healthier and they'll have us live more vibrant lives. So um, the first uh, session I do, it's kind of a worship session on Friday evening. I'm going over the first four commandments. And we got to this commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we read the commandment. We asked them, what is the principle behind this commandment? And the word that was chosen was holy being set apart. And then we went into the cognitive distortions. What could be the cognitive distortion? They couldn't quite figure out what the cognitive distortion would be that this commandment solves, but we then went into the scientific analysis. And the uh, a scientific analysis was studied not too long ago in a controlled study where we were looking at Sabbath keepers versus those who kept Sunday or did not keep any day. 
And so there were two different control groups. And I mentioned that there's actually more Sabbath keepers in the nation than there are Sunday keepers. Uh, there's more people who go to church on Sunday, but they don't keep the day holy. And so the difficulty in the control group. And then we, we went uh, through it. This was actually a study that was done as a result of Dan Butner asking the question, could the Sabbath-keeping experience of Adventists actually help them in addition to their diet and exercise? And so in order to find this out, of course, we have to do a study design, and we had to also define what Sabbath-keeping was, which was not shopping, not reading secular magazines, not watching or listening to news or sports programs, not attending secular concerts or theatrical events, not working and not engaging in commercial activities from Friday night till Sabbath night. And in addition, it was also looked at in regards to not only what they were not doing, but what they were doing. And then they put the groups together and started to do some statistical analysis. They found out there was a significant correlation between Sabbath keeping and what else? Mental health. They went on to say greater Sabbath keeping was associated with more religious coping, more religious support, healthier diet, more exercise, which in turn were associated with better mental health. And of course, they were learning about how diet and exercise is so important in regards to mental health. However, pairwise comparisons showed that both religious coping and religious support each had a significantly greater effect than what? greater effect than diet or exercise on mental health. We know those two are crucial in regards to mental health, but there was something that was even more important in this study, and that was Sabbath keeping. Now, it did show that Sabbath keepers have bad things happen to them as well. They lose their jobs. They can be fired for unfair reasons. They can have divorces. Uh, due to a spouse that doesn't have self-control. They can have all sorts of bad things happen to them, but when they are true Sabbath keepers, they seem to be able to live above the fray. It doesn't get them down. It doesn't cause them to crash and start thinking of options that are the most terrible options imaginable in order to cope. And so I mentioned if we're going to be teaching diet and exercise, this is why we actually bring up the Sabbath. Because if Sabbath keeping has that much importance on mental health, we want to teach them everything that can help their mental health. And we also want to model it. And we talk about how the next day we're actually going to um, even uh, go to church. Uh, avoidance of non-Sabbath activities in the study. Performance of spiritual activities, which is what we were doing then on that Friday night as well as what we would be doing the next day and going to church. And performance of communal Sabbath activities were all independently associated with improved mental health. But keeping the Sabbath out of social pressure, duty or shame avoidance, performance of secular activities on the Sabbath, or electively thinking that helping people by working for them without pay on the Sabbath, like painting their house, these were all independently associated with an actual decrease in mental health. And so it's not just the Sabbath keeping, but also why we are doing it. Not just the social, if it's for social pressure or duty shame avoidance, it didn't seem to help. But when we were, we were not doing 
those activities that the commandment forbids and actually performing activities that draw us closer to God and closer to other believers and understanding more of his principles, it was a great determinant in regards to positive mental health. And what did Jesus himself say about the Sabbath when he was here? He said, the Sabbath was made for man. We often don't think about it, but the Sabbath is a health principle. It's something the Lord gave us to enhance our health. And if we are doing that, we're actually more likely to incorporate the other new start principles in our life. So when people know about the Sabbath, but they don't keep it, what's the issue? It's actually a cognitive distortion. It's a distortion called disqualifying the positive because they're thinking that if I do what I want to do on the Sabbath, I'm going to be happier. I don't want to follow this set of not doing things and God wants me to be happy. So let, you know, I'm sure he doesn't mind if I just do what I want to do. But God is saying, trust me. I made you, I designed you, I know what's best for you. And those who actually taste and see and keep the Sabbath commandment live happier lives, mentally more healthy lives. And so many people have wondered, why is it that the prophet told us that the third angel's message was the health message in Verity? The third angel's message has to do with this final conflict. Is it going to be God and his inspired writings that are our are overarching God, um, a principle in life? In other words, the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Is it, are we really going to keep the first commandment and have our priorities straight? Or are we going to incorporate not just the Bible, but the Bible and tradition. Well, I didn't mention about the Bible and tradition uh, in that uh, talk. We had Sunday um, uh, keepers there, or at least Sunday worshipers. I don't know if they were Sunday keepers. I don't think they were Sunday keepers. Um, we had people from all different walks of life. We had the atheists there. Uh, and interestingly, after that message, um, she, of course, raised her hand in front of everybody and said, you know, I'm reading this commandment. It says the seventh day. Why is it that many Christians, most of them, worship on the first day? How did that start? So that's when I went into the Council of Trent where the decision was made, is it going to be the Bible and the Bible only or Bible and tradition as far as our rule of faith and practice? And the Council of Trent decided since even the Protestants who were saying the Bible and the Bible only were worshiping on a day that did not have to do with the Bible, that they were actually also doing the Bible in tradition. And so, uh, and then of course I did mention before that, that we love Christians of all types, no matter what their beliefs, no matter what day they worship. We want us all to embrace the principles of abundant living that Christ has given us. And then I went into that simple explanation. But the next morning, she wouldn't let it go. On the hike at 6 a.m. where she and a lot of the other participants were hiking on their own, she kept talking about if we're going to follow 
the only portion of scripture that God wrote himself, why wouldn't we keep the Sabbath? That morning, she made a commitment that she was going to follow God in all aspects of her life. And she said she just felt the presence of God. Here was a previous atheist now making commitments to go all the way, to put all on the altar of sacrifice and let God into her life. Do you think she's going to be successful in long-term results? You bet she is. There will be temptations to go the other direction. There will be issues that will be um, uh, trying to uh, tempt her in regards to the re-entry aspects of life. But do you see why the medical missionary work is so important for reaching people? This is someone that would have never gone to an evangelistic series. This is someone who would have never gone to uh, you know, a, a traditional way of hearing the gospel. But because of the health needs, what a difference was made in her life and her heart and mind was completely open. She actually asked that afternoon to get baptized into Christ's uh, church. And uh, our pastor, um, she's so new to everything, but he, he said that she's one of the sharpest individuals ever that she studied the Bible with. He assigned her because he does counseling, three different counseling sessions for each of our participants because there's many spiritual issues. She wanted to know some of those apologetic uh, questions at first, but then she was very uh, interested in reading everything that he assigned her, and she was very discerning, and she seemed to understand the meaning of all of that. And so we know that soon she will be entering the watery graves of baptism once she fully understands uh, what, um, what she's about ready to do and make that full commitment. But on the other hand, the Sunday keeper or the Sunday worshiper who was there, who was very much an evangelical um, a Christian, more of the Pentecostal aspect of things, she was also equally uh, blown away by the medical missionary program. She wanted her husband, who was a physician, to come at the end of the program and see what was happening. In fact, that physician is now wanting to rotate with me in the next program. He was so excited to hear and see things. And he also was blown away by the beautiful music uh, here at Weimar. Part of improving the mental health was him singing. And those participants uh, started to participate in that aspect because it helps the, the, uh, all aspects of the brain when we're doing that and singing hymns that are uplifting. And uh, he especially uh, asked our pianist to play a special number at the end of the graduation uh, as we all sat in awe and our hearts were uplifted um, to God. And so, yes, the medical missionary work and the gospel combined are powerful influences. And it, if we accept the principles of each of those commandments will have all sorts of power to be able to resist the common ways of distorted thinking. We're told if the soul is to be purified and ennobled and made fit for the heavenly courts, there are two lessons to be learned in everyone. What are those two lessons? Self-sacrifice and self-control. We have so many health problems in this world due to lack of self-control. 
and we have so much lack of God's love in our life, and that's why we're not willing to self-sacrifice. But it turns out if we're willing to put our all on the altar, as this woman did, if we are willing to accept God's self-sacrificing love in our life, that will give us the power of self-control. If we don't have self-control, that means there's a corner of selfishness somewhere. We haven't put all on the altar of sacrifice. And that's why Christ's healing message, medical missionary work, when it's done in accordance with his will, will encircle this globe quickly. If we just reach one soul every week, and that soul reaches another soul every week, within three years, over 8 billion people will be reached, and Christ will indeed come. I want to encourage each one of you to go for physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health to be comprehensive and lifelong, and that demands the gospel to be complete. Ellen White predicted, we shall see the medical missionary work broadening and deepening at every point of its progress because of the inflowing of hundreds and thousands of streams until the whole earth is covered as the waters cover the sea. This is why Christ has not come. We're not to this point. Look at what she says is going to happen. And this is why Weimar exists. This is why ASI exists. Weimar exists to train people to fully embrace all three of Christ's ministry methods and use his methods to bring about the loud cry that will circle the globe. And the three angels' message is intimately connected with it. As Ellen White says, the third angel's message is the health message in verity. May God bless you. Yeah.
Beautiful music and a wonderful presentation by Dr. Neil Nedley. I'm just thinking this afternoon how amazing it is that we have this wonderful counsel, that we have this wonderful idea that we're to engage in the work that Christ engaged in, follow the methods that Christ followed, and do the work that He did. This is an amazing opportunity for us as human beings actually called to do the kind of work that our Savior did. Andy, you're here with us. I mean, Lindy. 
the twins are here, <laughs> uh, but only one of them's yeah. here. Linda, you're a, a physician, right? So how, what do you think, this medical missionary work idea? You know, I've been impressed that the ministry of Jesus Christ was not just preaching. It was healing, and it was primarily healing. And I believe that uh, Dr. Nedley is spot on, and I support what he said. Right now, we're going to go to a Members in Action story about Weimar Institute. Hi, I'm Dr. Randy Bivens, and I'd like to welcome you to ASI Members in Action. I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at Weimar Institute. 42 years ago, we had our first lifestyle program in a building that's just right beside me. And as a result of that, one of our guests coined the term New Start. All of you may know New Start. It's actually a trademark product of Weimar Institute. For all that period of time, people have asked, don't you have a, a shorter version? Uh, we now have an 18-day program, and it takes a long time. And there's always been a demand to have a shorter version. The COVID virus pandemic has actually forced us to do what we probably should have been doing a long time ago, and that is produce a short online program that's available. And we have a short promotional video I'd like to show you now. Life is like a race. Sometimes it seems like you're carrying more weight than anyone else onto the track. Your daily responsibilities, work, family. You keep it all together for a while, but then it just becomes too much. The race, well, it seems endless. But then you find yourself falling hard. So you find ways to cope, so you think. Sometimes it just seems like it's easier to stay down than to get back up again. Whatever has knocked you down, your health, habits, feelings of hopelessness, we understand. The good news is your current circumstances don't have to define the rest of your life. We here at New Start Online want to give you the tools to help you get back up and get going again. To take one step and then another and another until before you know it, you're on your way toward your personal best. Because we believe the race is not really about being number one. It's about what's number one in your life. So contact us for how you can get back on track and run your race better than ever before. Because it's never too late to make a new start now. So as you can see for this program, it's, it's engaging. Um, it's like a mini version of being here on campus. We have 32 hours of content. We actually have um, a lot of uh, cooking recipes. We have videos of cooking. And we think that this is going to be a tremendous product, especially when people are still sheltering in place. They may still be at home. They could actually watch this. In addition, for the people who might be thinking about coming to an 18-day program, we're saying, listen, we're, why don't you go sign up for this program? 
watch all of its content. It's eight sessions long, 32 hours of content, and at the end of that, you would have a much better idea of what our residential program looks like. And then if you decide to come to our residential program, we'll take all the money that you spent, and we can actually then just give it back and put it toward that full program. What does this have to do with members in action in ASI? Well, that's a really good question. It turns out in the last year and a half, if you take the New Start guests and the depression recovery and anxiety guests that come here for residential programs, we've had over 100 baptisms. What's amazing about this is those people have paid us to allow us to evangelize them. I can't think of a better evangelistic tool than to go through a New Start online program to get a really good idea. In fact, Pastor McIntosh does all of the spiritual applications, has eight different sessions. I can't think of a better evangelistic tool than to use medical evangelism and Weimar Institute to help achieve your goal. And we're, we're thankful that you're, you're joining us and we're happy to be ASI members and we've been the recipients of many ASI gifts and we again thank all of the ASI family for all that you've done for us. Jesus Christ came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And what a better way to, to appreciate that than to participate in the principles of New Start. I want to thank Randy Bivens and the, and the people at New Start for having this wonderful program. I know many people have been there, they've benefited it, and their lives are transformed by the health principles uh, taught there. We are about to have another Members in Action and this one will be done by two of our ASI members. Um, Steve Dickman, ASI president, will be interviewing Rodney Bose, who is the VP for evangelism. And this is a very wonderful and inspirational um, interview. And so, Steve and Rodney, this is your time. We have here this afternoon an opportunity, Rodney, to share a little bit about the story of an organization that both of us love. It's called LIGHT, L-I-G-H-T. What is LIGHT? Tell us a little bit about LIGHT and uh, how that kind of pulls together. LIGHT is a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church that is passionate about helping every member of the church take hold of medical missionary work or health evangelism. So what does LIGHT stand for? LIGHT is the Lay Institute for Global Health Training. Okay, what is the mission of LIGHT? How does, how does LIGHT uh, present itself to the world? What, what are you trying to do for the world? Our goal is to show the ministry of Jesus Christ in practical ways. Okay, so you're showing the ministry of Jesus Christ. We just had this lecture talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ. We, we heard from uh, Dr. Nedley about uh, the, the methods of Christ, the ministry of Christ. So what, is, what does that look like? when you put it in practical terms for a training? Well, LIGHT's specialty is training. We have developed a curriculum. It's about 120 hours, and we do it all around the world. It's mainly done in churches, and we have classes on health and spiritual subjects. So you have these classes on health and spiritual subjects, and you're training people. 
and uh, you have this desire to activate every Seventh-day Adventist uh, as a missionary and spreading these principles to others. So who comes to your classes? We have a wide variety because our goal is for every member to take hold of medical missionary work. So we have doctors who come. We have special tracks for those in the health profession. And then we also have a large number of people that I guess you could say the layperson, those so, who don't so, have a medical training. So what does a doctor learn when he comes to your program? The biggest thing that many physicians and nurses have really gained is the evangelistic side of things. Many people practice medicine, but they don't have the evangelism part. They have the medical, but not the missionary. So they really appreciate seeing practical ways to bridge the gap between the two. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about then what does the, you know, the person from the pew, not a physician, but person from the pew. How does that program look for them? That's really a fun audience to work with. I've done several trainings myself and we've had people from uh, the housewife to the mechanic to the farmer to everyone in between. And it's been really fun to see people learning how to cook, learning the benefits of exercise, learning hydrotherapy. We have a whole session on end time prophecy. It's a blending of the gospel and the health work together. So as people begin to learn these principles, what changes are they making in their lives? People are kind of going through a new start program. They're uh, seeing that their own health is improving. And many people get really excited about starting community health clubs, doing community health expos, doing lectures in their churches, reviving the health message that God has given to the church. So Rodney, what area of the world is your focus? You work with the Light Organization, and we've talked a little bit about Light now. And I know they've kind of divided up and they have, um, what do you call it? Uh, Divisional division directors. directors. Yes for different parts of the world. What's your focus area? So I have uh, Africa. That's the continent of Africa. That's uh, a pretty big focus. It, it's uh, part of it. And then India and Asia. So let me understand this. About half of the world is, is your focus for encouraging people to do this kind of training. And what's so exciting is that the way we've organized it is that we have regional directors who work on the ground. So I'm not traveling every weekend out of the year, just a few. So I imagine this, uh, this virus idea, the pandemic we're currently experiencing has kind of slowed things down a little. Well, how are you delivering this training to church members now? So for the majority of places around the world, the trainings have stopped. Mm -hmm. But in Nigeria, we have a training going on where they're practicing social distancing. All the students are six feet apart and okay. uh, it's going on with 30 students. But the majority of people right now are learning online. We have an online course. Okay, so they actually someone can go to the online course. They can get this material. They can uh, get the training right there online and finish, uh, finish the course right there online. Right. Just go to lightingtheworld.org and you can sign up today. So I, I'm just wondering as we're kind of finishing up here, Rodney, you, you've, you've worked the world with this. 
tell me a little story about somebody's life who's been impacted by going through this training and just because uh, we're going to watch a video in a minute, but I, I want to get an introduction to this. How does this actually change people's focus? Well, I will use this as a segue for the video because Joshua is the person I want to focus on. Joshua came from India. He learned about medical missionary work, came to Wildwood, uh, took our course at Wildwood, and he got a vision to change his entire country. And so now that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to see what the course did to Joshua. In 2011, a study was conducted. For every 10,000 people in India, there are only 20 health workers. That includes physicians, nurses, and therapists. It's a big problem in India. I had a privilege of going and attending Wildwood Lifestyle Center in Georgia, USA. And I did my six-month program and advanced course there, which has really transformed and touched my life. And I could see how powerful this medical missionary work could be used, reach out to other people and touching their life and changing their life. And I see people coming with so much of suffering in the lifestyle centers. Their life have been transformed in a short time of 10 days or 21 days. And when they go back, I could see such an impact. And I wanted to have the same thing happening right here in India, where there is so much of suffering in disease. People are actually dying with a sickness which they could easily prevent or easily they can reverse. And it's not because the resources are lacking, but because the basic knowledge is not there for them. So one of our dreams as we work with light and health coaching in India is that more of this basic healthcare knowledge of how to take care of our bodies, what foods to eat, simple remedies of hydrotherapy and massage for the people who work all day and night and have tired bodies. All these things that we have grown up with and we are exposed to can also be shared with them through the training of light material. That way they can also live healthier lives and they will also have true and proven methods that God has given us to have more whole and fulfilling lives that are free from the suffering and disease that the people here face. We train and equip people to become as medical missionaries. We have them go and establish their own center and build network among all the other ministries as well that are doing light affiliated schools or institutions. Our vision in restoration healthcare in lifestyle coaching is to branch out to every state of India, Nepal and Bhutan to make healthcare accessible to everyone that is in need of help. We want our clients to be personally connected with our coaches that we can able to impact their life not just on physical level, even in their spiritual and also in their mental aspect as well. This is an enormous field that needs to be reached. The only way we could reach is Christ's method alone. The Savior mingled with men as one desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. And that is exactly what we want to do with the help of our trainees and our centers.
I, I'm wondering today, listening friend, and, and maybe you're watching on 3ABN, maybe you're listening on some other device, but if you're watching this story, I want to ask you a question. What difference can one person make? When you look at what's happening in the country of India with the training that one individual received and went home with a burden to change his country, it's amazing. Lindy, you've been here with me observing this program, participating in this program, and we have some more special music and, and another speaker, Elder Doug Batchelor, is going to speak for us here in a few minutes. But I'm wondering, as we're listening today, and I want to ask our listeners to think about this as, as they are listening as well, what are you learning? What is your takeaway today? Because this is more than just listening. This is an active thing that we're doing here. We are here to inspire people to do something besides what they are doing. Maybe you're listening from your home today and you're thinking, I really don't know what I can do. Well, I want you to think back about what you've seen so far. And I want you to listen to the rest of this program. Because at the end of today's program, I'm going to ask these ladies here that are joining me as I co-host, um, Joy, uh, I'm going to ask a question. Mm. And I'm going to say, what did you learn today? We'll what ready. did you learn from these presentations? So this is like the open book quiz. You can get ready for this now. <laughs> so what did you learn and what commitment are you going to make going forward? Good. So listeners, I want you to ask the same question to yourself. What have you learned today? And what commitment are you going to make going forward? Elder Doug Batchelor will speak for us immediately following the wonderful music that we're going to hear by Jennifer LaMountain. She's going to sing for us tonight, You Thought of Us.
Hi, friends. Welcome to this special series of presentations that are for the ASI members. And the reason this all came together is because just before this global pandemic took everyone's life and turned it into a yard sale, uh, there were a lot of regional ASI meetings that were scheduled across the country to bring together and to inspire the ASI members and others to get involved in soul winning. Well, of course, all of that needed to be postponed. And so we want to thank ASI and for 3ABN working together to make these uh, programs available now through broadcast, satellite, online, so that people can still get the encouragement as we look forward to the time when we can come together nationally during our convention. You know, uh, if you're in TV broadcasting, 
something everybody understands is the phrase prime time. And that's what I'd like to talk about right now is prime time. Prime time, according to a definition, is a regularly occurring time at which a television or radio audience is expected to be the greatest or the most receptive. You know, Amazing Facts has a few programs that broadcast during the graveyard shift, but most of the time we shoot for primetime hours where we can have maximum input. And what I'd like to share with you right now is I believe that God's people and the church is living during a primetime opportunity, especially in the backdrop of this incredible upheaval in our world that's been caused by the pandemic. You know, one of the greatest lost opportunities in history was back in 1274 when the uh, brothers Niccolo and Maffeo Polo, uh, they were in China. It was the great Mongol Empire. And they met the great Kublai Khan, who is the son of Genghis Khan. And in that meeting, he was impressed with their religion of Christianity and their beliefs. So when they were done with their trading there in this vast empire, the king said, go back to your great high priest, the Pope, and have him send a hundred of his priests to come to our country and teach us about Jesus and Christianity. Well, Niccolo and Matteo, they went, Matteo is the uh, way we would say Maffeo. They went uh, through this very difficult long journey from China, came back to Venice, and then ultimately went to Rome and pled with the Pope. They said, this is vast empire, much bigger than Europe, and they're pleading for a knowledge of the truth. Send a hundred priests and the whole country will turn to Jesus. Well, they were so involved with internal battles, fighting between two popes about who the real pope was and other wars that were going on in Europe. They basically dismissed them. But they persisted, said, you've got to send some priests, send some priests. This is the greatest opportunity for evangelism in history. Finally, they said, okay, we'll send you two monks. And these two friars, these two monks, went with the Polo brothers, along with Marco, back towards the Mongol Empire. And they got discouraged along the way when they entered some war-torn country. And by how hard the journey was, they turned back. One of them died on his way home. No priests ever came. And the whole history of the world would have been transformed if they had taken that invitation seriously. You know, I can read in the Bible about a similar story where there was this incredible lost primetime opportunity. You read about it in Isaiah chapter 39. Good King Hezekiah was, um, he was terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah had come to him and said, set your house in order, fix up your will, you're going to die. Well, Hezekiah didn't want to die and he turned his face to the wall and he wept and he cried and he prayed and, and God heard his prayer and he sent Isaiah the prophet back and said, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, I'm going to add to your life 15 years. And uh, as a result of that, God also gave him a sign. The sun went backwards 15 degrees and um, time was basically went in reverse. And I won't go into what that miracle may have involved. But there were some very observant astronomers in the Babylonian Empire. Now, the Babylonian Empire was, well, you know, where some of the great minds and they had understood math there and they had been involved in great building projects. And there was a, a great deal of sophistication and genius in that empire. 
And they saw what happened, and they inquired and to find out what was the cause for this miracle. They said, well, it was a God, Jehovah, of the Jews that did this wonder because of their king. He was sick, and he prayed, and God healed him and gave him a sign. So they sent some ambassadors with gifts, and they came to Hezekiah with a message from their king. And that's where our story takes up Isaiah 39. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Now, they sent these messengers, these emissaries, to find out about the God that had the power to make the sun go backwards. But Hezekiah missed this great opportunity, and instead of pointing them to God, like when the queen of Sheba came to Solomon, he pointed to Jehovah. But instead, Hezekiah took the glory to himself, and he missed this opportunity. Listen to what happened here. Hezekiah was pleased with them. He was impressed. He thought, well, that's from a great empire, from Babylon. They've come to visit me. I'll see if I can impress them equally. And it says he showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or all of his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them, except the, he did not show them his God. How tragic. Then Isaiah the prophet went to Hezekiah and said, what did these men say and where did they come to you from? Hezekiah said, they've come to me from a far country. They came to me from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, well, they've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures I've not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house that your fathers have accumulated to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And they'll take away some of your sons who will descend from you that you will beget, and they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That literally was fulfilled with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You see, it's sort of a law of life that if you have a treasure, other people are going to want your treasure. And Jesus said our treasure should be stored in heaven. God should be our treasure. And if we treasure our treasure, people are going to say, what is it that's making them so happy? What is it that's making them prosper? They're going to want our treasure. Hopefully your treasure is God. And people are going to want to know about your God because it gives you joy. It's what you value. Well, Hezekiah valued his earthly treasure. He had taken his eyes off the one who had just done this incredible miracle for him. And he was focusing now on his earthly treasure. And they wanted his treasure. Years later, Babylon came back. They weren't interested in the God of Israel. They wanted the treasure of Israel. And they took all their earthly treasure and carried it off. You know, if Hezekiah had recognized this opportunity for sharing his faith, instead of the Babylonians conquering Israel, Israel would have conquered Babylon with their God. Terrible missed opportunity. Right now, friends, we are living in a prime opportunity for sharing our faith. The world around us is asking, what is going on? The whole world has been turned upside down because of this pandemic. It's been affected socially and medically and economically in every way you could probably devise. And people's hearts are open. You know, they say that people are especially open to the gospel during some key times in their life. Usually it's times of great transition or change. One would be a birth, 
a death, a marriage, a divorce, a move, a crisis, a sickness, the loss of a job, and I've thrown in a global pandemic, which actually can lead to some of these other things. But right now the world is very sensitive to spiritual things. I've got friends and neighbors that are not believers and they started asking me questions. I've got some family that have started asking me questions about my faith. I know people that were once walking with the Lord that drifted away and out of the blue I got a phone call and they said, Pastor Doug, what in the world is going on? What does this mean? Is this the fulfillment of prophecy? And what a tragedy if we should miss this opportunity to be telling them about, yes, Jesus is coming soon. Now, I realize that people in the world, they're going to scoff. And there's even some in the church that are going to scoff the idea that this pandemic might be a sign that we've entered a new chapter. And uh, I know there's going to be plagues through history. I expect we're going to come out of the other side of this, but uh, nothing's going to be exactly the same. It seems like ever, every time there's a major crisis, like 9-11, we lose certain freedoms, which all leads toward the ultimate oppression that happens with the beast power in the end. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you should be mindful of the words that were spoken of by the holy prophets, that's in the Old Testament, of the commandment of us, the apostles, that's the New Testament, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus, God himself, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. The prophets, Old and New Testament, have said in the last days there's going to be people in the world and in the church that are going to scoff at those that say Jesus is coming soon. How sad if Adventists should come to the place where we're not excited about the imminent advent of Jesus. There is a mobilizing, inspiring truth. The Bible calls it the blessed hope that we're to look forward to with joy. He says, scoffers are going to come walking after their own lusts. They're focused on their earthly pleasures, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, friends, don't be thinking that Jesus has forgotten to return and that he's late. I'd like to submit to you, the Bible tells us Christ foretold there would be the appearance of a delay prior to his coming. When he gives the signs of the second coming that you read about there in Matthew chapter 24, he concludes by saying, if that evil servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. He warns, do not think this is taking longer than we thought. Maybe the Lord is delayed, or maybe he's forgotten, or maybe we've got a long time. We'll get comfortable down here. We'll eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus said, if that servant begins to eat and drink with the drunken and smite his fellow servants, the master of that servant will come in a day that he's not looking for him and in a day that he's not aware of. But the good servant, if he's giving his fellow servants their meat in due season, this is the meat we should be studying and sharing with others, that servant's going to be rewarded. Then right after that, you go into Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable of the ten virgins. And in that story, it says that all ten, he got five wise, five foolish, a hundred percent of them were sleeping just before the cry announces the bridegroom is coming. But you notice what it says? While the bridegroom was delayed, there seems to be the Lord is prophesying the appearance of a delay. You remember there was a time of testing that happened for the children of Israel. Moses went up the mountain. 
to commune with God. He said, I'm coming back. He didn't say exactly when. Like Jesus said, I'm coming back. He did not give us the day and the hour. And they got tired of waiting. And they said, you know, Moses was old, tall mountain. We can't go up the mountain. Maybe he's had an accident. We need to pick another leader, maybe pick another God. And during that time of delay, when Moses was delayed, the Bible says, they were being tested and many of them failed the test with the golden calf. Could it be that God's people are in this time of testing right now? Do not be discouraged, friends. It's like the book Habakkuk tells us, though the vision delay, though it tarry, wait for it. It will not delay. It will surely come. The Lord is trying to warn us. Do not think that I've forgotten. You need to hang on and continue to believe Jesus is coming soon. I do think that there are signs that God is giving us. No man knows the day or the hour. I don't think you can predict the year. But there are signs, and especially as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, I think we ought to recognize what some of these signs are. Got the stock market gyrating up and down so that it's giving people virtual whiplash. You have um, a chorus of voices around the world that seem to be calling for some kind of Sunday legislation or Sabbath legislation. Let me just read you. Uh, that ought to get our attention, right? Let me read you something here. Of course, the Pope in his encyclical called Laudato Se in 2015, he said, on Sunday, our participation in the Eucharist has a special importance. Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world. This is an encyclical that says we need to worry about the environment, climate change, global warming, and maybe the world needs a Sabbath. So he kind of let that out of the bag back there in 2015. Now, since the pandemic, people around the world can't help but notice Air pollution has dropped dramatically. CO2 emissions have dropped. The people in India, Amazing Facts has some missionaries in India, they said the streets are quiet. You can hear the birds singing. There's no honking. People in India are seeing the Himalayas. They've lived their whole lives where they could see the Himalayas, but the air has never been clear enough. And so for the first time in 30 years, people are saying, what's that? Oh, that's the Himalaya mountains. Because the water is clean. They said in Venice... They didn't know there was fish in the water. They can look down the water so clean they can see the fish. So these people are noticing these improvements. Listen to what the response is. You can read, um, here's Michael Brown uh, writing in the Christian Post. The shutdown, uh, we need perhaps a Sabbath and a weekly divine rest. As inconvenient as this period of enforced shutdown has been, it's also been a time of reflection, a time of growth, a time of deepening. Some are even referring to the shutdown as a time of divine reset, and it's changing their lives for the better. What if God intended for us to have a divine reset every week? What if that was one of the very purposes of the Sabbath? Of course, this pastor here is talking about Sunday. The Pope is saying that uh, this global shutdown, the environment is uh, re revolting from it all. He says a pandemic could be nature's response to climate change. Earth is punishing us. A separate uh, note, on Earth Day, the Pope said, nature will not forgive our trespasses. We're, we're going to be in big trouble if we don't give nature a break. So don't be surprised if you don't start hearing not just the benefits in the family for an enforced weekly day of rest, but the environment as well. Um, here's one from a radical environmental proposal, a day of rest. 
This is the Baptist Message magazine. Last week, as environmentalists around the world celebrated Earth Day, I was intrigued by the potential of a biblical solution to the problem of air pollution, a day of rest. The concept of a day of rest is nothing new to people of faith. We're familiar with God's six days of creation. It's forming the heavens and the earth and fashioning all the creatures of the air, the land, the sea as well, molding man into his own image. Likewise, we know our Heavenly Father established the seventh day as a time of rest. Could something as simple as observing one day of rest every six days work a difference in our air? This is coming from a pastor. In our air quality, reduce the dire ecological impacts from pollution that many scientists are predicting. He's saying this 40-day pandemic resting, what if we had 52 days a year? Spread it out, though, once a week. He goes on to say, Chick-fil-A has done quite well by closing on Sundays, generating more sales per store in six days than its three closest competitors combined achieve in seven. So, you know, there'd be benefit. Now, I frankly think these are some great arguments for Sabbath keeping. But you watch and wait what day is going to be suggested. Uh, here's another one from uh, February 26, 2020, this year. Earth needs a green Sabbath day. Every week we should take a day of rest. We should not shop or drive. Commerce, transportation, and construction, if it would pause, everyone would rest for an entire day. Scientists have begun to recognize behind the technological Sabbath. When cities in Israel shut down for the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, nitrogen oxide pollution plummets. That's one day, the difference one day of rest can make. Scientists have determined that a day of rest would reduce the carbon emissions dramatically. I'm just quoting a few highlights, excerpts from a whole kaleidoscope of articles people have been sending me and that I've found that are coming up around the world from Christians, Protestants, Catholics, Jews, atheists, environmentalists, people from all over the world are saying, hey, maybe it hasn't been so bad for us to take one day a week for our families. Rest the companies, rest the workers, rest the environment. A Filipino priest, Michael Valenzuela, said, so maybe one way to look at this current crisis is to see the planet's desperate demand for a Sabbath, a cessation from unbridled consumerism and the parasitic activity that work becomes in the pursuit of profit when it becomes our primary goal. Climate Lab, or Climate Collab, it's an MIT collective intelligence one emission-free day per week can make a profound impact on changing the climate. A study done by greensabbath.org. The Boston Post, Joseph Tortelli, April 2020. Let's give serious thought to reinstating at least some of the time-honored Sunday closure laws. Sort of one day per week modified stay-at-home request. Such action would rededicate our society to a regular day of rest, family meals, civic associations, religious observance. By rededicating each Sunday as a common day of rest, we could say that life in America is much more than never pausing commerce and ever grinding bureaucracy. Friends, I, this is just a few samples. This is an opportunity for people to wake up, to recognize that Jesus is coming soon. Not only that, uh, you can also see and I think you should, just as sort of a side note, remember the Pope had scheduled May 14 as a day when he was inviting leaders of the world, both educational and uh, otherwise, to come together. Matter of fact, I think I've got uh, that reference here. Yeah, 
Pope summons world leaders. A global compact on education is an initiative promoted by the Vatican and Pope Francis, who has invited leaders of the world religions, international and humanitarian organizations, as well as representatives of all branches of civil society to commit to shape the future of humanity by forming mature individuals who can overcome division and care for the planet. You know, it seems like um, we keep hearing that echo. Well, that date, because of the pandemic, has now been moved to October 11 through 18. They're going on with this global compact to re-educate the world on how we can save the planet. You know, friends, I, I just see signs all around us. And there's some positive signs that should be exciting. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse uh, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, then the end shall come. And right now, uh, through the internet, you know, we're, we're just praising the Lord. I'm sure that uh, a lot of the media ministries are experiencing the same thing we are here at Amazing Facts, where uh, we're just seeing exponential growth of interest, 50% growth in the Bible school, people wanting to study the Word, in a lot of the online training, in the the YouTubes and the websites and the the, the studies that are going out. It, people are suddenly taking a great interest, and the gospel is going through satellite, television, radio, publishing, the Internet, not to mention the live missionaries. We're seeing the gospel going to all corners of the earth. There is scarcely a place on the planet. We've had email from Antarctica, stations in Antarctica. There's scarcely a place on the planet that is not hearing it. Now, it doesn't mean everyone's going to believe. Jesus said it will go as a witness to all nations. Then the end will come. I think we're living in a generation that can see the fulfillment of this prophecy. But if this does not excite us, what is it going to take? If this is not prime time for preaching the gospel, what is it going to take? And I'm afraid, friends, if we wait too long, we may be losing our best opportunity. Jesus said we've got to work while it is day. Right now, I know that some things are restricted, but the, some of those restrictions on church and public evangelism, they're going to be lifted. But someday there's going to be restrictions that are going to make it very difficult. Christ said, John 9, verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. John 12, 35, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer and the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Friends, now is when we've got to get the message out and let people know Jesus is coming. And then, you know, there's some great quotes in the spirit of prophecy. We have no time to lose. This is the book of Evangelism, page 30. We have no time to lose. The end is near. The passage from place to place to spread the truth will soon be hedged with dangers on the right hand and the left. Everything will be placed to obstruct the way of the Lord's messengers so they'll not be able to do that which it is possible for them to do now. Again, page 31, Book of Evangelism. The work which the church has failed to do in times of peace and prosperity, she will have to do in a terrible crisis under most discouraging, forbidding circumstances. A little further down that page. The days in which we live are solemn and important. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Plagues, like pandemics, judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, they forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. 
you know, now we have an opportunity to spread the gospel. And uh, as they begin to ease these restrictions, I would say, friends, do all you can to share the gospel. Even now, there's so much we can do to strengthen our own faith. The whole purpose of the gospel is that we come to Christ and then we go for Christ. Surrender fully to Jesus during these precious hours of, of opportunity. The doors of probation are still open for God's people, but they will not always be. If there's anything in your life that is not right with the Lord, what are you waiting for? Uh, you know, I think the Lord is giving us warning how quickly the world can change, how quickly we can lose our freedoms and even be imprisoned in our own homes. And I think this is just a foretaste to wake God's people up. Then don't miss that cry, behold, the bridegroom comes. And take advantage of that opportunity to lead other people into the wedding feast. You know, I remember um, hearing a story when uh, years ago, I remember reading this uh, when I was a kid, that in North Dakota, in the middle of winter, a school bus taking children home got caught in a terrible blizzard and it was whiteout conditions. The driver kind of slid off the road into a snowbank and the bus was stuck. Well, he realized that probably everyone else was smart enough to get off the road and, and uh, he probably ought to go look for some help. So he told the boy named Tony, who was like 12 or 13 years old, he says, you're in charge. It was an elementary school. He said, you're in charge. He said, watch over the other kids. I will leave the engine running and uh, I'm going to go see if I can get some help and get us towed out. Bus driver went tromping off through the snow and he disappeared. Not long after he left, something happened and the engine stopped. And Tony tried as he could, he flooded it or something, but he couldn't get the engine to start again. So the heater stopped. And immediately the temperature in that school bus began to plunge to super sub-zero. And the kids <laughs> were developing ice on their breath and it was extremely cold. And they, some of them started falling asleep and they were freezing to death. Tony realized what was happening and he went from one young student to another and he shook them and he made them get up. He made them move around. He talked to them. He said, we need to sing. When they fall asleep, sometimes he'd even slug them and he'd shake them. So you've got to get up. You've got to keep moving. And he continued to move the kids and wrestle the kids until pretty soon the driver came with a plow truck and, and they were all rescued. Tony was later hailed as a hero. And he said, I'm not a hero. He said, if the truth be known, all the work I had to do to keep the others awake, I was keeping myself warm in the process. Friends, the more we do now in sharing our faith with others, don't wait until you feel like you're perfect before you share your faith. Say, Lord, how can you use me now? I mean, all of us, we can pray for God's work, we can invest in God's work, but there's more we can do. We could be learning how to give Bible studies to others. You can take the online AFCO program and study so you know ways to share your faith and to do missionary work. But we won't always have these opportunities. Romans chapter 13, verse 11, and do this, the apostle says, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of the darkness. That's the worldliness. Let us put on the armor of light. Again, Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 16, seeing then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. You know what that means? Making the most of the opportunity of the time because the days are evil. We've got a short time left, friends. Now is the time for us to get the message out and share the good news with our friends. 
we need to be excited about the truth that Jesus is coming again. I know it may seem like he delayed, but I think we're going to find out the Lord is right on schedule. That angel is going to declare soon time will be no more. You know what it says, really? Soon delay shall be no longer. Jesus said, I will come again. He's going to come again. He wants you to live eternally, but we need to be fully surrendered to him, to come to him and then go for him. And that's our prayer for you at uh, here at Amazing Facts. Let's pray for each other, the other ministries. I want to thank you for this opportunity to share. Look forward to seeing all the different ministries at the national convention. Let me close by praying for you. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have now in these precious hours to share the gospel with the world. And we pray, Lord, that um, we'll help recognize the different windows that you give us to share our faith, whether it's with our neighbors around us, in our family, where we work online, to be speaking up for you. We know we're living in just very challenging times, and I pray that we can all be found faithful, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. And we just pray for the baptism of your spirit in our lives and on the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Indeed is small Child of weakness Watch and pray Find in me Thine all and all Jesus paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow Lord now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change my leper spots
Thank you for that wonderful music. Uh, just really, Jesus paid it all. That kind of brings the summary to our story tonight. Thank you very much, Pastor Bachelor, for that challenge. And uh, we've been talking here this evening, and you've been listening and watching. And I gave a quiz to my co-host here. <laughs> Lindy, what is your takeaway? Well, I have three takeaways, Steve. And um, the first one I got from the testimony, the MI, the mess uh, Members in Action that Curtis presented. It demonstrated a significant part of the third angel's message, which is the faith of Jesus. And when we appreciate what Christ did for us on the cross, we see and treat people the way he would. Secondly, the third angel's message, it is a unique, powerful message of quality in an end time setting. And then when that's linked with the right arm, it is powerful enough to bring on the latter rain and the second coming. And we need to immerse ourselves deeply in understanding this message. Thirdly, from the New Start, um, Members in Action, taking care of our health is a witness to all who observe us and look at us. Joy. So my three points were that you have a sphere of influence. I have a sphere of influence. The Schmitz in Ohio, they have a sphere of influence. It may be like Joshua taking on a whole nation of India. This global family of faith, we all have people we can impact. Secondly, this is prime time for you to share the love of Jesus and his health plan for abundant life with the world. Don't miss this prime time opportunity. Third, by fixing our mind on Jesus, just like we spoke about in the song, the very first song, we can ask Jesus to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us and give us the gift of self-control and his spirit of self-sacrifice. These are the two powerful forces that are going to equip us to bring the everlasting gospel to the world. Steve, what were your three points? So what I'm taking away from this is that we need to be encouraging the medical missionary work. We don't often do that. You know, we kind of almost treat that as a secondary work, mm. but it's a primary work in getting the gospel to the world to encourage the medical missionary work. Secondly, I don't want to miss any opportunities. So I take that point away. 
that often we're missing opportunities, but I don't want to miss any opportunities. Thirdly, we need to take more risk on people. People are a vital part of everything we do, and sharing the good news with them sometimes means we need to take a risk with them. Mm -hmm. So I'm committed to that. But, you know, we don't just want to stop there. What is your commitment, Joy? So I started this year with a commitment to prayer and Bible study, and I can't imagine doing anything other than starting every day with prayer and Bible study. So I commit to keep that going. Lindy? I am committed to seeing and treating people the way Christ saw them and treated them. Thank you for sharing your commitment. And as I've pondered this question and thought about it, I think this, I think all of us need to be recommitting our lives to the call of Christ to take the gospel to the world. Listening, friend, maybe tonight something that has been said, something that has been shared has impacted your life. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I wonder what God is calling me to do. Well, there's a verse of scripture we find in Matthew chapter 28. And he's giving a commission to his disciples. And he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Basic concept here is that all are called. Join me today in a commitment to do for others. Join us tomorrow morning at eight o'clock as we continue our program.